our life objectives are so similar. We like challenges. You know, we actually have quite a lot of fun at the same time when we're doing this stuff. And we can be really hard on each other. It's not that we're giving each other an easy ride. The misconception is that emotions run the business. There is a huge stigma of being a couple and being ambitious with business. It's one of the first things we tell people. I think people then see us as a single entity. We kind of have a natural divide of resources and share the shit and, you know, the dogs get walked and somehow it works. We would definitely start another business of some description I together. I just find it far easier working with someone that yeah. you live with. I'm Trisha Bacon and this is Between the Spreadsheets, a series of conversations with inspirational couples who combine love and work to run a business together. I'm the founder of Couplepreneurs, a growing global community of couples in love and in business. And with millions of them across the globe, this is definitely a thing. So as we bust open the myths that exist around being a couplepreneur, we'll be finding out what it's really like and just how they juggle work, life, love and everything in between. The top three in terms of stress levels is having a baby, getting married, and buying a property mm -hmm. and we did those three in one year plus on top of that we set up a business i have these visions of these lovely pregnant women sitting there with their feet up getting coffee brought to them i was moving you had boxes. coffee brought to you fine i had that done <laughs> in this episode we meet laura clacy and carol ofstashevsky from scully laura and carol established scully in 2014 producing craft apple cider pressed from eating apples rather than cider apples. From Australia to South Africa, and now based in the UK, Scully has been selected as one of Sainsbury's top 100 future brands, and they are changing mindsets to make cider sexy. So welcome, Laura and Carol, to Between the Spreadsheets. I'm going to just going to take you back before the business began to when you both met some years ago. Carol, why don't we yeah, start so with you in terms of where it all began, in terms of where you met? Yeah, so thanks, Patricia. So it was back in 2010. I was I just finished my accounting qualification with PwC in London, and I decided I'd had enough of dealing with the spreadsheets and probably wasn't <laughs> spending enough time in between the spreadsheets. And I love it. So I felt as though I needed to not only find something that I could put into a spreadsheet, so that is obviously the numbers and trying to develop a business. But I suppose part of the other reason for going was, you know, to explore the world and meet new people. And over the course of this year that I was away in 2010, so I left in January, was due back in the UK in December. I spent about six weeks in South Africa. And right at the beginning of my time in South Africa, I was pretty much kind of stuck at Johannesburg. I'd had a long flight, I'd come from the US and decided I'd spend a night in Johannesburg. I'd been warned that it's quite a, a dangerous and dicey place. <laughs> Met a few people on my first evening out in Johannesburg and they told me I should stay another night and that they would introduce me to more people. And during that second night out, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet this beautiful, wonderful South African oh. woman who was full of pizzazz and full of personality. And that of course was Laura. And I think, you know, what really drew me to her was when I asked her for her mobile number, she gave me a, a business card and it was a KPMG business card. And I thought, she, uh, I think you're joking. Surely a woman like yourself can't be at KPMG, you know, because I thought, you know, it's too wonderful. You know, you are such a wonderful person. Surely we can't have this in common as well in the sense that we work at professional services. So I insisted that she must now kind of write her number also on the back of this business card just to confirm that she wasn't kind of impostering as... <laughs> 
as <laughs> somebody, somebody else. else. <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually still got this business card, Patricia, in my scrapbook from my travels. I, I maintained this card. But I think, yeah, we had a connection. And I think even back then, we realized that, you know, a lot of our, you know, business ethos and our attitude towards work was very similar. And while at the time we had never envisaged actually going into work together, I suppose it was to a large degree written in those Johannesburg stars that mm. um, that it, it would be the case. So we met and then I continued my travels around South Africa for those six weeks and Laura very kindly invited me back to Johannesburg and spent a week with her. And from there we decided to kind of see where things would go. And I was continuing my travels uh, on to Australia and... Then it was obviously in Australia where I started my foray into cider. We obviously stayed together over those two, three months while I traveled through Australia and then decided to move to, to Sydney around six months later. And so, yeah, that's where the, the journey and the magic really began. And that was how it started. So I was in Johannesburg when I met Carol um, yes. with KPMG and I transferred with KPMG to Australia. So we met in 2010 and I moved a year later to Australia. So I think the following September, roughly sometime in 2011, mm -hmm. I moved to Australia with KPMG and I stayed with them for another 18 months or so. Okay. And you, and you were saying then, Carol, that, you, that was your foray into cider. When you were in Sydney, you started yeah, so moving into the cider business then, or you set up a cider business? Yeah, tell, I, tell I set up a cider that. business in, in Australia. So one of my main objectives of the travel was to try and find a business idea that I could be passionate about. When I was in Australia, I identified that obviously there are a lot of uh, British people, a lot of POMs that live in Australia, but I found that there was a very narrow attention given to cider. So I thought that it was a great opportunity, especially with the climate and cider being very much a drink that's enjoyed in the sun, that it would be you know, a great opportunity to tap into the cider market. And so this was where I partnered with an Australian apple grower and the two of us set up a brand called The Apple Thief, which did very well in the Australian marketplace. So Laura wasn't in the business then? So I was really passionate about social impact creation and that side of sustainability and looking at like social impact investing. And I luckily managed to find an amazing position with the Australian federal government, uh, working with Aboriginal people and looking at how they turn their lives around in particularly remote areas. So basically being entrepreneurs. And that's where I became really interested in small businesses, obviously looking at Carol running a small business. I mean, I guess it's, it's a bit of a segue here, but the reason why I joined Carol in business was because I'm passionate about small businesses, but also because I thought not enough businesses were doing something that created a social return. So the deal was I'd start a business with Carol and it would be a very social focused business with all our profit and return going to communities, which was lovely in theory. <laughs> then we set up Squally with the aim of it being a social enterprise and uh, very quickly realized that unless we make enough money to feed ourselves, we're not going to be able to help anybody else. So I had to take a total step back, change strategy, change tech, change my role in the business and make it a purely for-profit business. But it's still something that I'm very passionate about. Six months ago, we created our newest cider, the Pink Lady, and a percentage of all our profit does go to a charity to help women develop in agriculture. You know, you can enter business with kind of, you know, great aspirations of helping, but I think until the business becomes sustainable, it's hard to then help others 
become sustainable. I think it's a, you know, step by step process. So we But have... I do think that attitude does still run strong in our business. Like most of the people we've employed have been to our strength and detriment, have been young or someone who I just see opportunity in as opposed to going through recruiters and finding, you know, highly skilled people ready made who've gone through years and years of training. My heart always goes to the people who I think need a break or need some training and could be great with the training. The ethos still kind of runs quite strong in our business. I, I'm having to to take big steps to try and kind of bring myself out of that mindset. Um, I mean, our brand Scully kind of roughly translates as a hustler, so you know, an opportunist, someone who's looking to get ahead, trying yeah. to kind of break through barriers and trying to make a difference. So, I think in terms of our hiring philosophy. We tend to like to go for people who have a bit more of an who edge, yeah. a bit more less polished, mm. you know, have a bit of rough edges. So I think that that's important for our brand identity that we maintain that. It's an endearing term that you'd give to someone as opposed to a criminal petty thief. It's more of an endearing term. There's kind of a cheekiness to it. So then the business was incorporated in when? So how long has the business been going? 2014. 2014. Yeah. So we're kind of in... Fifth year, fifth yeah. year, of, well, fifth, year yeah. fifth year of operating. I mean, that would be very generous to say. November 2013, we made the call to move back to South Africa. We decided that Australia was really far away from family. We're both very family orientated, and to fly to Australia from the UK is a 24-hour flight and a nine-hour time difference. So people take about three days to settle in either way because of the jet lag. And South Africa was a 15-hour flight with a seven-hour time difference, and we just couldn't see ourselves living in Australia forever. So we decided that, obviously, Carol's British, I'm South African. We wanted to be closer to this sort of time zone. And so we, we bought loads of sheets of paper, stuck them all up on the wall, and came up with like a life plan of things we wanted to see in our lives. One of them at the time was that we wanted to be near the beach um, and have endless sunshine, and we wanted to work together. That's kind of how we decided to start the business together. Um, so we moved to South Africa knowing that we were going to start a business together and we landed a week before our wedding so we landed on like the 7th of February um, incorporated the business roughly around then um, in between getting married and planning the last little bits to a wedding we were signing corporate documents which is quite interesting I love it so nothing Prenups and corporate so, yeah so, so nothing like let's move continents let's let's uh, let's, let's get married let's set up let's set up a business a and then yeah. And then you had a baby, then you had your daughter, then... So I found I was pregnant on the 1st of February. Okay. Uh, we got just... married on the 14th of okay. February. So for anybody that's out yeah. there that thinks that yeah. they're having a busy day... It's interesting <laughs> you say that, Patricia. You can go online and you can work out your kind of your stress level, what it should be based on life decisions. So I feel better already. I wasn't I wasn't stressed when we started, but I'm, I'm feeling really relaxed. I feel like I need to do more today. Totally. I'm not doing enough. But I feel like that every day. The top three in terms of stress levels is having a baby, getting married and buying a property. Mm -hmm. And we did those three in one year in 2014. Plus on top of that, we set up a business. Together. um, That's not too bad. I sold my business in the same year as well. I have these visions of these lovely pregnant women sitting there with their feet up in a very calm, stable environment, getting coffee brought to them. I was... You had coffee board too. Yeah, fine, I had that now. At least had something. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, that was a very, very intense year. And then on top of that, the South African government is not very open to to new businesses. So we had anticipated that this whole process would take about six months to get up and running. Carol had already started a side of business. He knew exactly what he was doing in terms of 
getting product to shelf. We personally were ready in three months. We had a brand developed. Before we'd we even moved, we knew what we wanted to do. We knew the, the ethos we wanted to, to create. We'd found, yeah, Apple Packaging supplies. Packaging suppliers. We'd done all the stuff. But then it took 18 months to get a liquor license. And we only had a certain amount of money saved up and ready to get this business going, plus a new baby coming along. So that was incredibly stressful. And we questioned our decision many times. So we had to, I think. So, so, so when you, so, okay, so when you're saying that, so you questioned your decision, because there will be lots of people out there that I talk to every day, you know, whether, whether you're an entrepreneur, co-founders or a couplepreneur, but I think particularly couplepreneurs where you're all in, you're stronger together, you've got each other's backs. So how was that time when so, you were questioning kind of so I th- where I think, are we at? I mean, I think for us, the frustration really revolved around the fact that this was nothing to do with product. This was to do more with the government just putting the handbrake on through their arduous and long And not knowing processes. if it would ever be approved. Our decision to keep going rather than give in was a number of factors. The one Carol's eternal optimism that everything's going to work out okay, which is a very strong Okay, so just, so just on that, is there an optimist here and a pessimist here? Or is I'd there... I'd say in or, different situations, different, yeah, okay. different things. Okay. But there were some sort of practical reasons why not as well. So one... Going back to our big ass sheets of paper on the on the wall, we were trying to decide where our life goes. One was that we were really keen on working together. You know, it, it drove a lot of decisions that we made. Like mm. we would have played our life differently had we not made the decision to work together. So that definitely inspired us to keep going rather than giving the towel. The other one was we looked in South Africa at our prospects for. I mean, obviously, you you've got to question yourself. You can't just blindly go in there and, and never take a step back and say, well, hang on, is this the right decision? But we look back and we're like, well, Carol's a white foreign male in South Africa where there's something called BE, Black Economic Empowerment. There was no ways he would get a job in any sector, in any service. He couldn't even be a waiter. So he had no choice but to not work or work for a foreign company. And myself, I looked at my opportunities and I was like, well, I've done corporate. I made a very clear distinction to get out of it. I've got by that stage, a tiny baby. I do not want to go back to working, you know, KPMG, we're working 16, 17 hours a day. That's and I'm not much. saying we didn't, <laughs> we are working now. We'll, we'll, but, come, we'll come back to the number of hours we work in but a day. But I, I wanted to be around, like I wanted my one month yes. old baby to see me on a regular basis and not be in an office outside of the home where she couldn't see my face for 16 hours a day and Carol become a stay-at-home dad with his brilliant mind. I was like, that's just not going to going to fly. So although we questioned our decision as whether this was the right thing to keep going through, it really helped the fact that we'd made those life decisions and written them down and we could keep questioning against a set point that we'd kind of written mm. down and the decision to work together, just that never really changed. Mm. I think I think we backed ourselves. I'm often surprised with some people that I see move into corporate because I feel as though if they back themselves, they could, they could probably well. do something bolder or bigger or kind of or make fun. a bigger difference or fun for that matter so <laughs> is this bolder and bigger and more fun oh, oh, certainly so <laughs> <laughs> i can see it in your faces in terms of life and you know wh- where i 
see myself at the age of 70 say I've always wanted to be able to sit at a dinner party and to be able to turn around to the person next to me and to have a exciting and different life story than the traditional you know I don't really want to be saying I've been yeah. going on the tube for 45 years and going to the same office and sitting at the same desk and seeing the same manager and I, I think you spend, anyone no, 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 but it's just I couldn't do that I, I'd need something more fulfilling you know yeah. so it's such yeah, a sure. large part of your day mm. when you're working I feel as I need to make it count I wonder to what extent the mental strength of a couplepreneur is maybe bigger and bolder than Mm -hmm. an entrepreneur or two co-founders or how it differs because you have two people that are all in two people where there is no bullshit hierarchy or politics two people that are naked metaphorically mm. with Just each other well as, actually physically you're lucky that i'm wearing some today <laughs> i mean I, I think you make a very fair point around that mm. mental health we can say look i mean we've just had a, a horrifically stressful or busy let's say 10 days where it's been non-stop I can say to Laura, Laura, can you just look out for my emails for five hours? I'm just going to go and have a bit of a rest or just read the newspaper or go to the gym or or just do something to take my mind away from that endless pressure and hackingness that, you know, people always kind of on top of me. Being in a couple, you're able to do that without anybody kind of questioning or thinking that, well... You're not pulling your weight or your... You you know, I I think there's a lot of pressure for co-founders who are not in a couple Mm. that you kind of, you suddenly think, well, I'm now carrying the can for my partner. Uh, Whereas if it's in a relationship, it's almost a given that it's, uh, you know, that that you're going towards the same goal. When one's stretched and so what Carol's talking about now, the last 15 days between us, we each haven't had one single day off because it's summer and you've got to make hay while the sun shines so we've had festivals every weekend we've had full days of work trying to get through some accounts over the line our current accounts are all going booming and and needing more and more stock which that's just placing order. that's fine but they all want it supported with some form of activation or something that everyone wants something from us in summer so it's it's an insanely busy period and while we know we've got to make hay while the sun shines i think our limit is about 15 days and then the wheels start coming off, we start getting sick, we start getting just emotionally drained where we actually, I've, I've had days where I sit in front of my laptop and I'm looking at an email thinking, okay, I know how to respond to this, but I actually just can't think of the words right now. Mm-hmm. So you kind of lose it. And Carol can then, or I can say to him, look, I need to go for a few hours. I just need to go I don't know, shopping or to the gym or to sit down and do nothing. Watch because... Love Island. <laughs> Whatever works. So tell me about the mind mapping and how you got to the point where you thought, actually, we'd like to work together. Because there'll be lots of people out there who are aspirational, who might be thinking, "Mm, could we do this? So we didn't start the mind map because we wanted to start a business together. So as you said, it it was a secondary outcome. Our primary aim of doing the mind map was we both felt a bit stuck. So Carol had decided to sell his business to his business partner and... Our whole world was kind of turning upside down at that point in time. We were getting married, living in Australia, really happy in Australia. I loved my job, but I was doing an insane amount of travel. So every single week I was traveling to far-flung parts of Australia, which was incredible. But I couldn't do that long-term if I knew we wanted to have kids. You know, you can't be away from home for four days out of every seven. And so Carol was feeling up in the air. I was feeling up in the air. Our families were getting really frustrated with us because we were just 
we couldn't distance, communicate with them. So. The distance was growing. Carol's an only child as well, so his parents were really struggling without him being nearby, being able to talk to him. South Africa, the economy was, you know, not that strong. My family weren't going to be able to come to see me, and it was making me really sad to think, you know, we're going to have kids and they'd see their grandparents once every two, three years. So we were just feeling like really unsettled. And Carol and I are both fairly strategic people. So I remember I had dyslexia when I was a, a kid and, and one of the things they taught me to help me study was mind maps. And I'm quite creative as well. So I was like, right, we need loads of colors of pens and we need loads of paper and we're going to map out our whole life and see where we want to go. And so we spent like literally half the day for me choosing different color crayons <laughs> <laughs> and sticky notes and all kinds of cool stationery because I love stationery too. Eventually we actually sat down to do this. We just kind of took up the whole wall and we started the beginning like, where are we now? And then we said, well, let's make a list of all the different elements in your life that matter to us. So obviously things like family, work. Having a yacht. Well, no, that came in, that was like, <laughs> how much money do we want to have? Um, totally. Because we're getting married. Like, I mean, obviously we'd had these discussions before, which was quite lucky. But all the different elements of life that you can kind of put into buckets. We kind of wrote them down on, on a list. And then we started going through each one in the little circles within the mind map. So we're like, okay, so money, how much money do we want to have? So like Carol's analogy was... Do you want to own the yacht or do you want to be able to go on holiday on a yacht? Or do you want to just like go on a barge and on down the Thames on, on your holidays? And so we kind of decided, well, we definitely don't need to own the yacht. Like we're not looking to be multi-billionaires, but we'd like to be able to go on holiday on a yacht for two weeks in the summer. What type of house do you want to live in? Or we want to live in a family home where we can have a dog, which I still don't have. Just a frank discussion with each other about what we want from life. And then work was like, well, I love my job, but I can't travel so much. What do we want to do? And we both said we don't want to go back to a kind of very corporate world. Carol said he loved running his own business. I said I was passionate about social entrepreneurship. And so all these kind of thoughts that were going through our mind, we could write down onto paper. And once we'd done that, then we're like, okay, cool. What are our options? We want to be in the sunshine. So we also looked at Carol can speak French and Spanish. So we could, we could live in France or Spain. England's too cold at that stage. Cape Town in South Africa became the choice for country. We sort of started there and then we said, well, what can we do in South Africa that would bring us enough money to rent a yacht but not own the yacht? And that's how we got to, well, we, we can't get jobs. Carol wouldn't be able to get a job. But we could start a business. Do we want to do it alone or do we want to do it together? And that's how we landed up there. I think it's a good process for any couple who might be interested mm. in setting up a business together mm. is to go through that. You know, a lot of these kind of pre-marriage courses or whatever they might be go through, you know, how are you going to manage your finances together? Where do you want to live? Whose yeah. family do you want to be close to? All of these types of questions kind of came out of the discussions we had. But through those discussions, we determined that, well, the best outcome is obviously if we're working together because our objectives or our life objectives are so similar that we thought, well, why not, you know, get together, be stronger together and Mm. reach those objectives of what we want to achieve from life could be achieved together. And neither one of us was willing to be like, oh, well, I'm going to be the primary parent and I'm going to be the one who goes out and achieves great things. I'd be so pissed off with him if he had this high flying career and I was there stuck you know having to take the back seat and not sitting at the table as Cheryl Sandberg would say and I also wouldn't want Laura to have that degree of you know resentment for staying at home Mm -hmm. because I know that she wants more and so I think that that drove very much our decisions was you know why would we give ourselves out to an employer because at the end of the day we would be competing 
against each other to feed an employer, essentially. What's been the biggest learning about coming together and working together? What have you learned about each other? I think I knew everything about Laura before we worked together. Totally. Because we lived apart for a year and we had a long-distance relationship when we first started dating, we used to speak to each other for at least an hour every day in the evenings. And during that year, we learned so much about each other because you have to back each other and support each other and feel like you 100% trust this person Mm -hmm. who's on the other side of the world. You don't know them that well. Like, How do you build that trust over the phone? And so we had to have really honest, frank conversations about if I was feeling insecure, I had to tell him we couldn't keep any secrets during that year apart. So I think we learned a hell of a lot about each other in that time. But I think working together, we must have learned something about each other. I mean, how many years we'd known each other, I think, for five years by the time we'd set up the business together, yeah. we'd lived together. I mean, I think... We'd only spent maybe two months together by the time I'd moved to Australia mm-hmm. and we moved straight in with each other. So mm-hmm. there was no like getting to know each other phase mm-hmm. where you see each other once a week and then twice a week and then three times a week. We went all in. So maybe we did know each other I very think, yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I think. So it feels like a natural progression. It was a progression. natural progression. Yeah. It was... And, and clearly as you sat down and did your mind map, it sounds like it was a natural progression that yeah. this is yeah. something we want to do. Yeah. And for all the reasons around the competitivity, having a child, you know, being able to balance that. So let's just talk about the balance mm. for a okay. moment. How is the life balance going with being all in and obviously you've just alluded to the fact that you know particularly in the last 15 days you've had a a very intense period which will happen at certain points of the year in any business Mm -hmm. but tell me more about the balance I mean anyone would be lying if they say you get a clean work-life balance but I think anyone would be lying to say that whether you're a couple or or not we are to some degree in control of it yeah to some extent the thing with running your own business so whether you're a couple or not a couple if you don't put the effort into your business nothing is going to happen so yeah we could have a total work-life balance where i just don't respond to emails for a couple of days and say well now's my life balance but i think if you run your own business you're so passionate about it it all wraps up into one thing so our daughter's as important as our business sometimes we spend time together at a festival rather than at home watching tv but there are only so many hours in a day i mean the wonderful thing is is that sometimes there'll be you know a few days where nothing happens but instead of having to sit by a desk and kind of look busy you can actually just enjoy the downtime yeah um, and i think we're very good at doing that i mean we're yeah. we, we well, can we're be getting better at it. no no but we can be spontaneous people so if if nothing's going on hmm. we can just jump in the car and drive somewhere it's always got wi-fi i mean there's no such thing as a holiday with no work so tell me about that have you been able to get away and to have a holiday because just just remind us how many people are now in the business three three okay so it's yourselves and one person and what is the role of the other person that's coming sales um sales manager we are the only two that are ultimately accountable for the business Mm -hmm. i think if, if you talk about stress levels that's the thing that gets me personally the most is that we're the only two people that are at the end of the day accountable and no staff member is going to care about your business as much as you do and so these festivals for example I feel an ultimate responsibility to be there or one of us to be there the whole time to sell the business I know that no one else is going to sell our business like like we will I think it's one of the obviously one of the points of 
you know, early stage in a business, mm, yeah. founders very much need to be front and center. And it would be a luxury style business where the founders can just step away and say, well, no, I'm just going to give the capital. I've got like a yeah. great general manager I've just hired from X, Y, and Z who can run this show. But I think in order to be authentic and genuine as a as a brand and as a founder-led business, the owners need to be involved. Yeah. And so, regrettably, holidays have to kind of be put on the, the back burner. But we do a lot of travel. We go we away a lot. A lot. We'll spend at least three or four hours a day on our emails. But that doesn't mean you're not having a holiday. Mm-hmm. It's just you're sitting in a much nicer location than your home, looking out over the water and sending emails and on the phone from there for four hours. We'd never, ever, ever put our out-of-office on ever. I, I mean, I, I don't I, think as founders you should be out of the office. I mean, you... You are the office. It, it is a challenge and it, it is a mental health issue as well because, mm-hmm. you know, there has to be moments where you can just switch off. But that's where yeah. being a couple assists because we can be on holiday and there can be a Saturday and there can be a lot of work to do. But Laura can say, well, look, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I, I just need this day. And so then I can just, you know, work and you know, she could go to the beach and I can, you know, answer emails on her behalf. I don't think mm-hmm. our business is complex in the sense that there's nothing that that I can't answer on Laura's behalf or Laura can't answer on my behalf. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's not... Yeah, Except the strategic a, things, which you wouldn't be doing on holiday anyway. Anyway, mm. exactly. And, and just tell us about the roles that you have, you know, in terms of the skill sets. What are the roles that are going on here between the two of you? A lot of stuff in our business doesn't require a specific skill set. Like, anyone can drop an invoice and send it out over an email, anyone can respond to Process an order or... I guess strategically where our skills are our strongest is I'd probably be more involved on the human resources or human capital side of the business. Saying that we're going to get three people, so that's a bit of a mute point. I'd be more on the marketing and creative side of things. Carol's obviously a chartered accountant, so I just leave finance to him. That's not even a... a yeah, question. so I mean, I, I tend to do the, yeah, obviously the the day-to-day financial management of the company mm-hmm. and I'm actually just in the process of going to be going through a fundraise so um, we're yeah no it's a very exciting <laughs> time first time we've done it I mean that took a lot of discussion between Laura and I just to make sure that it was the, the path we wanted shift. to take and and so forth but we are you know we're, we're looking obviously to take the business in a very big direction so uh, in order to get there obviously we need the support of more investors you just said that was a mental shift laura tell us about that yes yeah, so i guess for me more than cal you asked uh, who's the optimist and the pessimist i guess i'm probably more the, the pessimist pessimist or realist or re- yeah maybe realist is probably a fairer term but carol's always had this knowledge that this business could be and, and will be great and yeah. big I mean and it depends to what degree I mean it's... the fear of taking on investment for me was how much our business would need to change so I quite like working from home Carol's very keen to have an office that's buzzing I like being accountable to each other and each other only and we can be really hard on each other it's not that we're kind of giving each other an easy ride here but we ultimately make decisions the minute you take an investment and you've got investors they're going to be pushing their agenda and their views of what will make our business successful and we have to take their views into account i've always been for raising money it's just the mental shift of how we go from being the small business to being a big business and i want to make a success of it i don't want to do it in a slapdash way i needed to kind of make sure that our business was geared and ready to grow that the minute we get the money and we can actually do something with it as opposed to just raising money because that's what startups do. I feel like we've now got enough experience in enough areas of the business to know what will work and what won't work. 
so that I could constructively challenge someone who entered our business later on rather than just feeling like you need to follow what the investors tell you to do but I know also where we're weak and I know where we really need some advice and help and strategic kind of support so I feel like we're ready now to take on that. I think at the stage in our business we are strong enough as a business to be able to choose who invests in our business rather than begging people to kind of yeah. invest in us so we need to make sure that the investor is the right fit who understands us yeah. as a as a dynamic and we know what we're getting from them I, I totally agree and I think you know as, as you both say you know you're at this point now where you know that you can take this business on a much higher global bigger level and I think mm-hmm. again that's one of the myths that exists that lots of these little sort of couplepreneur businesses are really kind of cute you know people say to me when I used mm-hmm. to start working with couple owned businesses through my consultancy business they said oh it must be really lovely working with those cute little couples and I was thinking well they might be cute but uh, that's not how I view them and and you only need to look at people like Sweaty Betty or Go Ape yeah. or Eventbrite or Micro Scooters you know and they are businesses that you know, have been going for decades, but once upon a time, you know, they weren't. And we talked about kind of a little bit about, you know, going out to seek investment. I'm really interested in, you know, your approach to that and also how you view that being a couple as well. In seeking investment, we believe it's actually a strength to say that we are a couplepreneur because I think there are a lot of aspects that we can come in and say, well, we are very united in terms of our direction yeah, we talk about this thing business. We, mm. you know we discuss this thing probably on a far greater and longer uh, level mm. than standard co-founders so i think that in seeking the investment we go as a couple and that's that's a kind of key component of what we offer well i think it's part of who you are isn't it and you may not walk in and say we're yeah. mr and mrs so and so or we're married as you, as the first thing that you say but as part of your deck as part of who you are and as part of the plan it is a huge strength if you're worried about something like that you've got to maybe go back and question why you are why why are you concerned by it because us going to investors we're not going and talking about the fact that we're a couple fine if they ask I mean it's not saying I'm going to hide but that's not the point of going to look for an investment that we're a couple looking to raise money I mean I'm not looking for a mortgage to buy a house we're looking at a product a cider that's doing very well we're going to sell that to an investor you know obviously they're investing in people at the end of the day but when they're investing in those people they're looking at me Laura, am I capable, able to execute a market strategy? Am I able to manage a team? Am I able to get this business to the next level? Looking at Carol, does he have the right credentials to be the CFO of this business? And and then if they say, oh, what's your personal relationship? Which they might ask to any mm. two other people, how did you meet each other? Yes. There's no difference between you... were you friends from university and know each other for 20 years or are you married? So I think someone who's worried about the couple story needs to kind of just take a quick look. It might be nothing. And if an investor has a major issue with it, well, then that investor is probably not the right investor for their business anyway. Absolutely. So you just yes. tell them to walk on. But up until now, it's been self-funded. Self-funded. So this is so this yeah. is a it's a mental kind of mind shift. Yeah. But it's a big move for you. And and where and where are you at with that investment with so, seeking the investment? We've just been accepted onto Cedars, which is one of the um, crowdfunding, crowdfunding yes. platforms. Yes. Um, they've started an incubator program to help people looking for money for the first time. Um, they've taken five FMCG brands and they're going to try and give us a bit more time and, and airtime and support yeah. 
to raise this money, which has been a really big deal for us because we're new to the UK. We don't know any big hitters. I mean, I think that's something in general that we found here and looking at other FMCG brands. The vast majority that we speak to came from a pool of money. They either had pre-identified investors. that Your pre-committed funds. Pre-committed funds before they'd even launched. And they're going in there with big bucks to begin with and no worry about feeding their family for the next year. They've got some runway there. And a lot of them come from big brands as well, where they know the industry. They've got relationships with suppliers, with retailers, with customers, etc. because they've had that experience the last 10 years in the UK. No, exactly. And I think what better way to hustle than through, you know, than through the crowd, you know, it's it's a very out Mm. there way of of raising money. And it's obviously a very modern way of raising money. So Mm -hmm. I think that it kind of very much hits the mark in terms of our brand, which is likewise bold and modern. So I think the story and the messaging works. But it's scary. I mean, what if we don't execute it? Being the pessimist. (laughs) But you're right to ask the questions. And that's why the two of you work. It sounds like you've got somebody who is you know, visionary, yeah. and then you've got somebody that's kind of making it happen. Yeah. And together, there is this kind of, Actually you know... the nail on the head. Yeah. That's exactly how I'd define us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Scully as our cider could be a mom and pop show. We could, you know, we're in Sainsbury's. We could keep that Sainsbury's thing going, which would bring us enough income to live off for the year, not invest anything into it, but just kind of live off that, get a few other, 10, 20 other bars and pubs yeah. doing it. And... We just work on, you know, sales and work on those few accounts and just keep that as a thing. We'd make enough. We wouldn't be able to rent a yacht for the holiday, but we'd be able to, you know, earn as much as a mid-income. You'd have a good, you'd have a good, you'd have a good life, but that's not, it doesn't sound like that's what you want. So so what, so what, so what, what is the ambition? What does the future hold? So, I mean, I mean, statistically, we, within five years, want to have 2.5% of the craft cider market in the UK. Mm -hmm. So in terms of our bottles, we're talking about 6 million bottles to be sold within five years. That's where we'd like to be within five years. Mm -hmm. From there, we obviously need to assess to see whether we can go again to try and get to 25% of the market. Whether we can do that by raising more money or whether we need to get a kind of a more serious uh, investor or partner into the business um, at that stage. But the medium term one within the next five years is obviously to make a, a good indent into the craft cider market in the UK. And obviously to help establish it because craft cider is not really something that exists in the UK. I mean, it does exist from well, a statistical does, point of but view. It's not very sexy. Not very sexy. That's why I we're think. here. Mm. And I think we're well placed to do that. We've got, you know, we've got the backing of the retailers. We've got the backing of key customers. And our brand is cheeky and quirky enough to be left mm. of center. So, you know, I think the business case is there for it. And you mentioned about Sainsbury's. Tell us about that. We were invited to join their future brands program. So essentially brands that they see as having a hell of a lot of potential that they will bring in under their wing, grant extra special support to, give us kind of great positioning on shelf, broader distribution, uh, people within the business, as in within Sainsbury's, to help us understand how the broader Sainsbury's family works. And that's been a huge opportunity for us, which we're thoroughly enjoying. We're also meeting a lot of these other future brands, so it's a great Mm, uh, networking opportunity for us to understand mistakes, successes of other similar brands in other sectors, be it dog food or crisps or confectionery, whatever, nappies, whatever <laughs> it might be. You can learn a lot. And so it's been a huge boost to our business, not only from a turnover perspective, but obviously also from a getting out there and getting to know people perspective as well. Yeah. And I mean, I must say, it's changed my world and my worldview as well. I mean, they've been so supportive, which I, I cannot kind of give them mm. enough 
credit for, but for example, they've given me a mentor, which is someone senior within the Sainsbury's business. Everyone would think it's really easy. You get listed at a retailer and off you go, but it's not. There are so many different parts of the business. Sainsbury's is a giant and there are so many different departments that work together, but not together. And sometimes as a brand, you have to be that link between the two departments. I think any small brand should be very careful about entering a retailer without having either the previous experience of having done it. So if you come from a big brand where, you know, that was your job, you'll be fine. But any small company just thinking they can land their ass in the butt in a big retailer and be fine is killing themselves. Like it is really a a rabbit's warren in there. <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's really powerful to see a brand like Sainsbury's innovating and yeah. recognizing, you know, lots of people want the artisanal brands they want the brands that are original and different and new and they Mm -hmm. don't want to have to go to sort of specialist deli to get them they want to be able to pick them out from their you know Sainsbury's local even though the overall turnover currently of future brands is only a negligible part of the Mm. overall turnover of the business but they see it as such a strategic pillar of where they want to take Sainsbury's in the future this has got to be this has got to be a good thing I think as you're going out to seek investment as well Mm -hmm. because you're you're entrenching yourselves in this you're working with the the other brands Mm -hmm. so out of the those hundred brands you know to be there from the beginning and to be learning with them is is phenomenal so yeah it's very exciting we're very lucky Okay, and my final question to you is that let's imagine that we had a aspiring couplepreneur that just knocked on the door and said, hey, you know, we've, we heard that you two have set up business together and are loving it and having lots of fun and, and probably sometimes working more than 16-hour days that you were working at KPMG, but uh, it's different and better. So what would you tell the aspiring couplepreneur? I'd spin on its head and say... Be brutally honest, like don't don't sugarcoat anything to yourself, but why do you actually want to start a business together? And if it's because you want to be a mom and pop, then I guess that's fine. But just think very carefully about, do you have the right skill set? Are you compatible to work together? Do you have the same ambitions to do this thing? Don't just do it because you thought it sounded like a nice idea and you love each other and you want to see more of each other. I mean, I guess that's one reason, but there needs to be more than just that. Quite brutally, again, I would say, look at the financials critically. So as a couple, look at your outgoings. What are you committed to? Is it a mortgage? Is it school fees? Is it, you know, what are you spending on your groceries? Do your Excel spreadsheets. Do you have a pot of money? And I'd say if you don't know how to do spreadsheets, don't even bother. Work that out. Make sure that that's known, that you need to kind of spend 12 months of not earning an income do you have enough in the tank in order to support that is there the runway there because now that we're going to raise money part of the great luxuries we have is that I know Laura said that from a optics point of view potentially they're not raising the money will be you know a, a big emotional hit for us but at least we're not needing the money so it's and least... you have to know that you're brutally honest with each other if you're not going to be brutally honest with each other then again if one of you is kind of subservient or the other one takes charge of situations and you're always listening to the other person, then I'd say you're not going to succeed as a couplepreneur either. The power roles are fairly evenly distributed, so mm. that helps in the in, in doing a business. But I mean, I guess that same advice applies to not just couples, it's anyone. Okay, well, I think brilliant advice. And I just want to say a huge thank you. I think being here at not quite the beginning but it sort of feels like the the drums are rolling out there (laughs) and it feels like with what you're doing the conviction that you have with the retailers that you're in with what's happening with Sainsbury's with what's happening with Cedars then 
it's a very very exciting time for you so you. we you. want well, to say thank you for thinking we're worth talking to <laughs> well very much so so I think I think you're definitely one to watch we'll definitely be watching those aisles and getting this make sure you buy some get it, guys getting get their getting scully getting, in your trolley getting their scully and hustling we love all of that okay thanks again thank you, thank you. all right